Y'all, that's when God meets us. When we're honest and we're real before Him, He comes and He meets us with that, and He heard my cry. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you another relationship story for the month of February, and this is Gail Alverson from Memphis. Yes, you know, Robin, coming off of our first Monday freebie with Jeremy Meredith's story, this month is really all about stories of relationship and love. And, you know, Jeremy's story was one really about redemption and finding the love of Christ and how important it is to focus in on Christ's love above all else. Today's story is really one about offering selfless love, really to someone who was far away from God and the truth that, you know, your prayers are not in vain. So, you know, one thing about all of our stories this month is that, as I said, they're stories about relationships, but they're really stories about God showing up in those relationships, whether that's um, going through a difficult season like Jeremy did and having to walk through divorce or sticking through a difficult season and really trying to focus in on God's love above all else. These stories this month are going to encourage you in your relationships. So I'm excited for you to hear Gail's story, and I'm really excited for us to talk about it at the end. Yes, and our Patreon family is going to hear Where Are They Now with Katie Baisden. And if you remember, Katie is from our Auburn community, and her episode is number 131, and she told a story about taking back her family. So if you have not listened to Katie Baisden's story, we do have a link in our show notes. Also on Patreon, check out the Where Are They Now. And if you're not a Patreon member, you can simply join very easily. Again, a link in our show notes, or go to our website at storytellerslive.org. And before I forget, Robin and Katie... Tickets are now on sale for the Stories of Hope luncheon. Yes. And we are so excited because tables are going fast. So if you want to come and meet us and be a part of this wonderful celebration of all that God is doing in the Storytellers Live ministry, join us on March the 13th. Again, there's a link in our show notes. So join us at our Stories of Hope luncheon. Here's Gail. It's fun to get to be here and see these faces. And I, and I love this atmosphere, like we are just at home talking. And that's what I want to do. I just want to share my heart with you for just a little bit. And it's not the whole story. I have pared down. But I trust that God's going to bring to my mind the things that you all might need to hear. At our church a couple of years ago, our women's director challenged us to write our testimony and to be able to tell your testimony in six words. And after much trying to pull up words and how in the world do you do that, the Lord gave me these words, and this is the format that I want to talk to you about today. So my six words are religious, broken, saw Jesus, set free. That takes me from the cradle to the present. I'm just going to highlight the first three I hope real quickly because I want to zoom in on the best part, which is the set free. I was born in Pell City, Alabama. I understand you're from Birmingham over there, so you know where Pell City is. I never knew life at all apart from the church. We were members of a small Baptist church, and we were there whenever the doors were open. That's where we were, and that was our friend. So that was just my whole life, I was baptized at eight years old. I joined the church, and I had a growing head knowledge 
of Jesus. I think I was a controlled rebel, if you know what I mean. (laughs) The line would be drawn in the sand. My parents had to draw the line in the sand for me. But nine times out of ten, that big toe would be over. You know, I had a curfew at 10.30. I'd come in at 10.45. uh, 10.45. That meant two weeks I had to stay home and not go out. And that was just the routine. Anything I tried to do, you know, it was just like I just kept pushing and pushing. So that was my mindset, which will help you understand the rest of my story. I met my husband, Jim. In May of 1968, and on May the on May the 11th, we had our first date. Now, Jim grew up in Pell City as well, but I didn't know him. He lived in Nashville, and he graduated the same high school I did 12 years earlier. So we were 12 years difference in our age. So we figured out that the year I started first grade, he graduated <laughs> high school. <laughs> I remember that it was actually our third date because I didn't let my parents know who I was dating. I met at a friend's house because I knew that they would not be happy with this older man picking me up. <laughs> so on our first date that I was picked up at home, My dad walked to the car with us, and he said, Son, I just want to know one thing. Are you a Christian? And he said, Yes, I am. He said, That's all that matters to me. My dad was a pastor at a small church. We lived up on a hill. So as he backed down, he looked at me and he said, I'm an American, aren't I? And that did not matter to me. Because there was that big, strong, good-looking man. He was six foot seven. He weighed about 250 pounds. He was a football player, and he had chosen me. So that didn't matter at all to me because, you know, you're not supposed to judge. So he said he was a Christian, and that, that's what we went with. So that was May the 11th. He lived in Nashville. I lived in Pell City. I had graduated high school in 67, so I'd been out for a year. July the 4th of 1968, we got engaged. When we got engaged, a friend of my mom's at church said to her, did you know that he's been divorced? And she said, no. So I didn't know it either. So I asked him about it. And his comment to me was, well, I didn't want to tell you because I figured that you would walk away from me like everybody else did. So he felt marked and rejected because of that divorce. They had been married eight months when she packed her bags and left. That's a clue in this story as well. August the 31st of 1968, we married. So it took him 112 days to sweep me off my feet, marry me, and move me to Nashville. He was such a sweet, kind, gentle man, and he worked at giving me anything I wanted. So we moved to Nashville. That's my religious section, and now we moved to Broken. (laughs) Things begin to change. I saw a different Jim Alverson not too long after we had moved. One Saturday, we sat down in his little one-bedroom apartment in Nashville, And the Alabama football game came on. And if you know anything about football, Alabama and Auburn, you don't go there. 
He was an Alabama fan. And I sat there and I watched him watch that football game and I knew I was in big trouble. The language that came from him, the anger that rose up, he was just in a rage over a football game. And y'all, I was raised in a home. I never heard those words, and we didn't have those words on TV back in that day. You know, that was guarded. And I was scared to death. So what happened to that? Now, I want to add, as I tell this story, that Jim never, never physically abused me or my girls. Never. He was, when he was good, he was good. He wanted the best for us. But when he was angry, he was not good. I sat there for those few next months, and it was like my dreams were shattered. It wasn't a happily ever after. It was like I met someone that I didn't know. Well, of course I didn't know him. I only knew him 112 days. He lived in Nashville. I lived in Pell City, so I saw him on those weekends. So we weren't building, other than by the telephone, any kind of deep, tight relationship. I felt like my life was breaking up into pieces. So a little bit later on, then a few months later on, we bought our first home in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Our first daughter was born. Rhonda was born July 31st, 1969. Two weeks, I was 18 when we married, 17 when we dated, 18 years old when we married, had Rhonda two weeks before I turned 19, one month before we celebrated our first anniversary. I have another daughter, Bretta. She was born August the 24th, 1972. I continued to go to church faithfully through all that time. And Jim would go with me to preaching some. He would meet us there for preaching. But the anger raged on, and I learned that I had to make peace at any price. So I would cover up that. I would forget what he had said to me and how he talked to me, and I just moved on because I couldn't talk through things with him because of that angry spirit. Once... He blew up with that football game in front of me. Then then the curtain was down, and that was how he acted every time when he got mad. Almost like the devil moved in, and that was his mode of conversation. And he couldn't talk through things. You know, he'd just get angry and mad and leave or whatever. And I was there to deal with that with my own heart which wasn't good because there was a lot of times I just wanted to run away, and I knew I could not do that. My prayer became, Lord, I can't divorce him because you say I can't divorce. So would you just take him? Would you just take him out of my life? And I started devising these plans that the Lord could do to get him gone, preferably, you know, just just take him away, whatever. Every time. He would get mad at me, and I asked permission to tell this exactly the way it was told to me, so forgive me. Every time he would get mad at me, he would look at me, and he would say, why don't you pack your damn bags and go? And that scared me to death, and then he would follow it with, and if you leave, 
I will move out of this state and I will pay you no support. I had two children that put fear into my bones because I had no college education. I quit college to marry him. I had no big job history. I was, you know, 18 when I left. And I did not want to go home and live with my parents. So I just dealt with that. But what that did was just build paralyzing fear into my heart when he would say those things. My life continued to be, I felt like just broken pieces. God did not change him. And he didn't listen to my prayer, you know, suggestions for how he could handle it. (laughs) And I lived a life of knowing I I never knew what was going to upset him and cause him to be mad. So now we've had the religious, and then I was broken with my marriage and going to church, but not getting much from that. That was just my habit, and that's that was where I was safe. And then the third section was saw Jesus. In May of 1975, Jim got promoted, and we moved to Memphis, Tennessee, in the house where I'm at right now for 48 years. Uh, We visited churches around, and we settled in a small Baptist church that wasn't far from the house. The Lord's just stirring my heart through all of this time. There was a lady there that taught a Sunday school lesson. Her name was Miss Spore, and she was a little gray-headed lady that loved Jesus, and she could talk about Jesus with such love and trust, and she could pray to Him. And I just... I just thought, why can't I do that? I can, I could talk about God, but the deal was I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus at that time. I had that head knowledge and I had that routine of church, but I did not have that personal walk with Jesus. And I, I laid on the couch one day. Jim worked for a drug company, so he traveled a lot. The girls were at school. And I laid on that couch, and I just started crying out to the Lord. I don't understand, after seeing that lady and being around some Christian people, why I can't talk about Jesus. I can talk about you, God, all day long, but why can I not speak the name of Jesus? Raw, on the couch, would you just please tell me the big deal about Jesus? Because I don't know. Y'all, that's when God meets us. When we're honest and we're real before him, he comes and he meets us with that. And he heard my cry. The other thing I want to tell you is don't ever underestimate the power of Jesus in your life. When you're talking to someone and that Holy Spirit lives within you, you never know. I mean, you might be talking about anything and the Lord will just draw you to that person that's standing there. You never know because we have Jesus in our heart and we're different. We walk different, we think different, and we move differently. That's what that little lady did for me. I saw in her, I can't tell you what her Sunday school lesson was about. I just watched how she moved and she had something I didn't have. So right after Pouring my heart out to the Lord and going to church, Bellevue Baptist Church had their first women's conference. So three of us from that little church went to that conference, and it was their first one, and it was big. Elizabeth Elliott was a speaker. 
Johnny Lord was a speaker. She was the wife of Peter Lord, who was big. Esther Kim was there. If I perish, I perish. That's the book she wrote. It just, whew. So I was hearing all of this, but the second day, Joyce Rogers spoke, and she spoke on joy. And I sat there in that pew, and I started crying because I thought, I don't know what she's talking about. I do not know. Her heart was settled. She just flowed with what Jesus meant to her and the joy that was in her heart. When I got in the car, I told those two ladies, I said, uh, I don't have what she has. I do not have joy in my heart. I don't think I'm saved. And they said, well, of course you are. Because at our small church, we had grown a little bit. So we had a younger women's Sunday school class, and I was their teacher. Of course you are. You're the Sunday school teacher. And I went, no. So you see how the Lord was just moving. He was opening the door, and I was seeing him more and more. That was in May. In July, I went to Birmingham, and I went to a conference with my mother-in-law. And on Thursday night, that speaker said, are you claiming to be a Christian? And it's like you're driving your car down the road, and Jesus was in the trunk. But when you have an issue, you pull over, stop, unlock him, and bring him up, and you sell your, and then you put him back in the trunk, and you, you drive your own life down the road. And I thought, oh, that's me. That's me. I said to the Lord, I want you driving my car. And there was a girl there at this, at this, this thing was at the Coliseum. We're talking thousands of people. I said, Lord, if you'll just let me see Becky so I can ask her for forgiveness. Cause we had double dated one time and, and I had been offensive to her and I knew that. And the Lord just brought that one little thing to my heart. Can I see her? Thousands of people there. So right before the session was over, I said to my mother-in-law, I'm going to run to the bathroom right quick because I don't want to have to wait in line. Ran to the bathroom, down the hall, down the stairs, and there was one person in that bathroom. The Lord brought Becky to that bathroom. And I got to tell her that I was so sorry for the way I acted with her. Would she please forgive me? And that was 12 years before, and she's just going, okay? I said, well, I've given my heart to the Lord, and he brought you to my mind, and I just want to ask for forgiveness. And she, you know, we hugged, and and everything was fine. I could see Jesus. I could feel his presence. I came home from that meeting, and the Lord gave me, just in reading scripture, James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. That was not my mode of existence in my marriage. My mar- That was peace at any price. And I knew the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable. So I knew that God was directing me, and the the word became alive to me. And And it was at that time that God put me in a little prayer group and I learned how to pray. I learned how to, I learned about spiritual warfare during those early days. And it it was a growing time, but the Lord put his finger on one particular thing for me. And it was 
Jim traveled, but when he was home, I had to answer the telephone and say, I'm sorry, he's not here. May I take a message? And I was lying every time I answered that telephone, but that's what he told me I had to do. So he left to go out of town, and I had learned how to do a word study. So I did a word study on lying. Do you all know that in Proverbs 16 through 19, it says that God hates six things. Load there's seven things he hates. Out of those seven things, there were two mentioned, liars and false witnesses. And I knew I had to quit that. I could no longer tell, answer that phone and lie about that. He had gone on a trip, so when he came home, I told him about I wouldn't be doing that again. And he said, oh, yes, you will. And I said, no, I'm not. I begged God to let me present that to him and not cry. He said, oh, yes, you will. And I said, I can't. Here's my scripture. So I just gave him the spiral notebook and flipped the pages at all the verses I'd written down about it and how that wasn't honoring to God. And I had to honor God over him. Oh, he got so mad. And the words that came out of it, he was, he just didn't know what to do with me at that point. And he went in and he got every article of clothing he owned, <laughs> pulled his car to the back patio door, put all his clothes in the car, wept with the girls. I'm just so sorry. I've got to go, blah, blah, blah. And he, flew out of my house, and I had no idea where it was going. And I found out later on he called me, and he was in Greenville, Mississippi, and begging me on the phone to please leave and let him raise the girls. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not going anywhere, but I can't lie for you. So, and there was a lot more words being said. And anyway, I got off the telephone and I just prayed and cried myself to sleep that night because I did not know what tomorrow was going to hold. And I was out in the yard mowing the grass, you know. Uh, My frustrations are taken out a lot of times behind that lawnmower. And you can talk out loud with a lawnmower and it doesn't (laughs) care, you know. And I saw his car come down the road and I went, oh, dear God in heaven, what's it going to look like? He pulled back up on the back patio, and he hollered at me, and he said, I've got to go pick up my boss. We've got to go to Texas for a meeting. I can't have my clothes in this car, and I'm going to put them inside. And I said, okay. And he said, will you come help me pack my bag? And I said, I sure will. So I helped him pack his bag. He left with this mountain of clothes. I refolded all the underwear and socks. I put them back in his drawer. I hung up all of his clothes. And then I said, Lord, what do we do from here? What do we do from here? And I looked in a service merchandise catalog and saw an answering machine. And I thought, that's what we can do. (laughs) And I said, can I just go get it? And I just wanted to go buy it to solve our problem. And the Lord said, no, no. So when he came home, he came in the door and he said, because I I never knew what kind of mood he was going to be when he came in. He came in the door and he said, I think I have an answer to our problem. (laughs) I said, our problem? What's our problem? (laughs) And he said, lying. 
you're lying on the phone for me. And I said, oh, really, what is it? And he said, we can get an answering machine. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He went to service merchandise. I didn't tell him where to go. He bought the exact one that I had circled in the book. And then he came home and wanted me to put the message on the machine. I said, oh, no, that's your voice. That needs to be your message. So he did. He put the message on there. And it was just a sweet answer of a huge hurdle I had to go over after inviting Jesus into my heart and declaring I was going to walk the way he wouldn't want me to walk. And I just got to see Jesus so high and lifted up, and I watched him change that man. And the, the anger was still there, and the stuff, but God was doing this work in my heart and answering my prayer that I could see him. Now, language still terrible and set free. So I've gone through religion. I've been broken, cried out to Jesus and saw Jesus, and now the set free part. So he still, every time he got mad at me, you know, he gave me that same little speech about packing my bags. And in my studying, the Lord gave me 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16. Because, see, I knew I could not leave him because that we didn't do divorce. I was just raised that way. And I knew that the Lord was going to carry me through this. But verses 13, 15, and 16, let me just remind you of what it says. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife? whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So one day he was leaving to go to work and he got real mad at me. His, he was in the garage and I was sitting at the, I was standing at the kitchen door and it was just one step down. So that put that six foot seven man kind of close to my eye level. And he yelled at me, why don't you pack your damn bags and go? And I looked at him, because I'd read that verse, and I said, I'm not going anywhere, but you can pack your damn bags and go. His eyes, y'all, got this big. I didn't talk like that, but I spoke his language, and it got his attention. And he said, well, I'm not leaving my stuff. And I said, well, I'm not leaving my stuff. And he said, I guess we'll work through this. And I said, I guess we will. So he left. And one other time, he tried to tell me that. And I looked at him and I said, we've had this conversation. And he said, yes, we have. And he never said those words to me again. So um, from that moment on, I declared war in my house because I knew that was Satan living through him. And I just said out loud, Satan, you're not going to have my husband. You're not going to have my kids or my home. We're going to have peace in here, and you're not going to rule in this house anymore. Because see, that fear I had absolutely ruled me, and it just paralyzed me. And I was set free with that verse 
that I could claim God's and move forward in what God showed me. I went through every room of my house with my Bible open, reading scripture, pleading the blood of Jesus over that room and singing blood songs. Now, I was at home by myself. Nobody heard me or saw me do that. I even went up in the attic. You're not going to be up here either. You just be gone from this home. I walked the parameter of my house. Every spot of my house I just claimed for Jesus because it was spiritual warfare, because the, the Lord had me and the devil had him. So my prayer for him changed. I said, Lord, you can't take him. Don't forget what I prayed before. Just you can't take him. You got to save this man, whatever it takes to save him. In 1996, Jim had been with that company for 28 years. He was offered an early retirement. In other words, that's how after 28 years, some of the bigger companies kind of got rid of the upper people and and he was without a job, and we had a huge check sitting in our kitchen, and we didn't know what to do with it. We had never invested money. We paid uh, our all our investment to the Evangelical Christian School, putting our girls through that, <laughs> which was a miracle that he chose to spend all his money for our kids and their Christian education. But he found a man that he was told about to invest. He specialized in investments for retirements, and he wanted that man. We went to the meeting, wanted to put everything in this one place. And I said, Jim, the the man that I listened to on the radio, this goes back to Larry Burkett before Dave Ramsey, you don't put everything in one basket. Well, the man I listened to says this is just fine. And I said, okay, it's your money. He signed the check, he gave that man the money, and the man stole all of it but $50,000. And we didn't find out about that to two years later. And so we had no retirement. We had no 401k. He took everything. He didn't take our house. He wanted our house to invest, and Jim told him no. But God began to do a work. And the security of having that big bank account was gone. So Jim sold cars for 11 years. And then we moved forward to February 98, sold cars. We moved forward to 2009. And Jim's not feeling well at all. I went into the bedroom and he couldn't breathe. So we ended up having to take him to the hospital. He was a heavy smoker. And we found out that he had cancer inside his lungs, outside his lungs, in his diaphragm. And and later on, we found out that it was in his brain. So we were three weeks in the hospital and three weeks at home. While we were in the emergency room waiting on a room, y'all, and he just all this time, he's just surrounded by Christian people because my friends were at my home and and loved on him and prayed for him. And my prayer group prayed for him for years and years and years. And um, we were talking to him in that little nook of that emergency room about Jesus. His comment was, do you expect me to believe in a man that wears sandals? He hated sandals on women too, but really hated them on men. And have hair on his face. And I just looked at him and I said, 
You're crazy. <laughs> Jesus lived in the desert. He didn't have Nike tennis shoes like you do. But that was the comment he made. I mean, he was not open to anything, not even... Well, we didn't have the diagnosis at that moment. That was Tuesday. By Friday in the hospital, we got the diagnosis of the cancer. Shortly after that, I would be with him at night, and he'd wake me up at 4 o'clock in the morning every time and say, wake up, I need to talk to you. One of those times he said, wake up, I've had a dream, and I need to ask you something. So, And, y'all, I was working during this time, so I was sleeping at the hospital and then going to work. So I was a little not clear on hearing him. And I woke up and sat up, and he said, I've had a dream. And I said, you've had a dream, okay? And I said, what was it? And he said, Jesus came to help me clean the yard. That name seldom came from his mouth. And I said, what? He said, Jesus came to help me clean the yard of the cigarette butts, and I don't know what to do with them. And I said, um, put them in the garbage can. And he said, it's already full, and I don't know what else to do. And I said, I, I don't either. I don't either. I don't, I don't know what to tell you to do, because I thought he was just talking out of his head. So my son-in-law, Keith, Bretta's husband, came to the hospital early before I left to be with him while I left. And... um I said, Jim, <clears throat> tell Keith about your dream. And he said, okay. And he told him. He said, Mr. Jim, Keith's a pastor in Tupelo. So, I mean, he just handled that so well. And Jim Jim liked Keith. And he said, uh, Mr. Jim, how did you know that was Jesus? And he said, he showed me his hands and his feet. He said, Mr. Jim, was he wearing his sandals? <laughs> he said, he sure was, but it didn't matter anymore. And I stood there and I thought, why didn't I think to ask him those questions? <laughs> I was just sleep deprived, you know. And Keith just moved right in there with it. A couple of days passed and it was, wake up, I've had a dream. I said, okay, you know, still thinking, mm, this dream stuff. Um, Jesus told me that he was going to send somebody to talk to me today and answer all my questions, and he's going to sit right there on the couch. And I went, well, that's real specific. <laughs> okay, let's see what Jesus would do. So I called into work and said, I'm not going to be at work today. <laughs> uh, the One of Rhonda and Sean's friends from that worked down below came up and just started giving him the gospel and talking to him. So in the meantime, I go outside and I call one of my prayer warriors, Mary, and I said, "Would just saying, wanted to tell you, tell Hickman, God's going to send some people to talk to Jim today. Just wanted you to know. <laughs> and she said, okay, I'll pass the word. <laughs> then I called work and went, talk to um uh, Steve Gaines was the pastor, and I talked to the secretary, just telling you, Jim had another dream, and these people are going to come talk to him. And she said, got it. So she, Steve had to go pick up x-rays that day, and she said, you got to go see this man. His name is Jim Alverson. He said, I don't know Jim Alverson. He said, it doesn't matter. God's sending people to talk to him today, and you've got to go talk to him. And he said, okay. <laughs> 
That day, seven men came into that room and talked to him about Jesus. I just lit a little fire, and God brought in different ones. And, I mean, I was sitting outside when Hickman was talking to him, and Steve came up, and I said, um, well, Hickman Ewing's in there. You can go in there and talk with him. <clears throat> he said, oh, no, no, no. I'll wait my turn. So he sat out there with me, and we prayed and waited till Hickman came out. And Hickman comes out and went, your turn. And he went in. Two other pastors from Bellevue came up, and I said, your boss is in there. You can go in there. We, oh, no, no, no. We're going to be with you. So they sat on each side, and we prayed. And it was just the sweetest thing, y'all, and how God was turning in his heart. And I don't know exactly what all Steve said to him, but he came out and he said, you need to go spend time with your husband. And at some point, Steve had opened the door to talk to him about Jesus. And in a small way, it was like, you know, that passage in the Bible where Jesus heals this man and he says, can you see? What do you see? And he said, I see men like trees. And he put the mud on his eyes again, and he said, what do you see? And he said, oh, I see clearly. That was how I watched God move in Jim's life. I knew then, and God confirmed in my heart, those dreams were from Jesus. And I had heard that that God spoke through, Jesus spoke through people, especially in the Middle East, but also in America through dreams. And that's what God used to touch his heart. <clears throat> a lot of times on those four o'clock in the morning talks, he would talk to me about stuff about his, his ex-wife. He never knew why she left. And he said to me, every time I came home, I was surprised to see your car there because I thought you would have left too. Because see, that day, he was watching a ball game, and she had packed her bags and left. And I didn't put all those pieces together until then that that was his threat to me. Why don't you do what she did and just leave and get out of my life? And I said, well, honey, I didn't go. And he said, no, you didn't. You know, So fast forward, do we go home three weeks in that hospital I'm telling you, people that clean the room would talk to him about Jesus. The nurses would come in and talk to him about Jesus. He was just surrounded. When we got home, um, he only lived three weeks after we got home. And um, he was on oxygen, so we would have to help him to the bathroom. And he kind of didn't want the guys going there. He said, just help me to the bathroom. And I said, okay. So we would go to the bathroom. And... That man would talk, and I would just stand there and listen and answer questions as much as I could. Um, on Friday, before God took him home on Wednesday, we had to go for an MRI. We had no idea he was going to die that soon. And I was real pushed with him. I have to just tell you this part. He couldn't bend down to put his socks on, so I was on the floor trying to get his socks on, and he was moving around. And I said something like, you've got to be still. we got to go. And he said, don't talk to me like that. So I immediately started singing, count your many blessings, name them one by one, as I was trying to get those socks on. <laughs> and he sang a little bit with me. And then he said, 
Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'm down on that floor, and I looked at him, and I said, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we got to the MRI, and it was no good because his kidneys were failing and all of that. And, and we came home, and the bathroom jobs kept coming, and I'd go with him, and he was asking questions about heaven, and he was asking questions about all this. And it was just a sweet time. The house was always full of people, so that was our little nook of being alone and talking. <clears throat> so that was on Friday, and on uh, hospice came on Sunday. On Tuesday, they set up a hospital bed, and Wednesday morning, he saw Jesus, <laughs> and he was set free. I told the kids after it was over with, I said, if only you could have been in the bathroom <laughs> with us and you could have heard your daddy talk. And they said, Mom, would hear the door shut. And then we went back there and sat on the edge of the bed. And we heard the conversation. We heard him talk about the Lord and we heard him answer those questions. And <clears throat> it was just a, a sweet time. He made, he wanted to talk to Sean by himself. He talked to Keith by himself. He made things right with the family. He prayed a blessing over us at a meal. Me and Rhonda and Sean were there, and Sean just doubted if he had really come to the Lord or not. He said, I'm just not certain. I just need something. And when, she, when Jim prayed that night over that food, I looked, as he was praying, I looked up at Sean. He was right there, and tears coming down Sean's life, uh, his face, because Jim was talking to Jesus. It was like we weren't even there. And he got up and left the room and blew his nose and came back, and we started to eat, and he just looked at me and went, thumbs up, you know. <laughs> he was settled. God had sealed it with him that he knew that Jim had belonged to the Lord. So it was, that was the faithfulness of prayer for someone. So I think my word in all of this to you all is don't give up praying. You might be married to an impossible person, or your mom or your dad or your kids. Don't quit praying because God hears those prayers. And God just let me watch him be drawn in to him. I guess that if I had anything to say to you is to be faithful in your prayer, keep praying, and watch God God move. So I've opened my home up. I've told the Lord, this is your house. I don't know what life is going to look for me like for me. Social Security is not much to live on. And Lord, what are we going to do here? And And the Lord has just opened one door after another door. He's brought people into my life. I got phone calls. I need a place to live for six weeks. I'll pay you for what it cost me to live in my apartment. It was a young girl, and I said, come on over, because I had two bedrooms with beds. Another girl said, I'll pay you what she's paying. I got, I'm got. i out of town. i got to find a place to live. She lived with me two years. And, and it's just been one thing after another that the Lord's just opened the door. I get to go to Binghampton on Thursday, and and help teach some wonderful Binghampton ladies about the Lord. I'm just in such a great place with him right now and just look to him for, you know, for my next step, just like we all do. It's been a journey, 
And the year that Jim died, the little motto at Bellevue, and they sent out all their paperwork, was enjoy the journey, enjoy the journey. And that's that's just, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for what you've done. So I'm just real glad I got to share part of that. So much more that the Lord is very evident in my life, bringing me to him and watching him bring Jim in. So can I, can I pray for us? Mm-hmm. Well, Father God, how we thank you for once again that we can lift you up. Make a testimony that you take our feet out of that miry clay and you set us on a rock and you put a new song in our heart. And that happens with every person that turns to Jesus. So we thank you for that. Lord, would you just make us vocal, open people that can speak the name of Jesus to those around us and you draw all men to yourself. Lord, we're here to honor you and to glorify you and to thank you for your very presence and that you're alive and well and you're doing your work and you're drawing your children. Help us not to be discouraged or disappointed when we don't see movement, but just ponder and keep pushing in to see you. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that never leaves us or forsakes us. He is always with us. So we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. When Gail kicked off her story, she gave a challenge that I am just right off the bat going to challenge all of us with because I took the start, which is telling your story in six yeah. words. Mm. Holy cow. Uh-huh. And I love how she framed this story mm-hmm. in line with those six words of religious, broken, saw Jesus, and set free. Mm-hmm. And so before we even begin this conversation, I'm going to sit down this weekend and write my story in six words. I think that is fantastic to really see where God has been all along the way. Yeah, I took so many notes from Gail's story. I mean, you know, the sweetest thing about this story to me is, first of all, how God just worked in her life over the years, but just how she was so selfless in her determination to love Jim, regardless of how he treated her, and to really to stay in it. And it was just a reminder to me of how Jesus stays with us, you know, as we continue to turn our backs on Him, He stays with us. That was one sweet thing that I loved. But then also, and I know that we'll probably get into this more in our discussion, but just the beautiful redemption of Jim's life at the very end. When his son-in-law was was talking about Jesus and he said, do you expect me to believe in somebody that wears sandals and has a beard? And then though, when, when, when Jesus gave him those dreams and the son-in-law said, was he wearing sandals? And he said, yes, but it didn't matter. And I just thought, oh, that was just, I don't know, for some reason that just hit it's me. Like the perfect just... picture of a change of heart. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Of how we can go in to any situation very rigid in our views, mm-hmm. whether they're good or bad, with no change, straight ahead. And then all of a sudden, you meet Jesus, Jesus comes to you in a dream, and it just doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. When Keith asked Jim, how did you know it was Jesus in your dream? And he said, because he showed me his hands and his feet. Yes. I was just like, ugh. It, it was so beautiful just to see Jim soften. And yes. like you're saying, his, his, his literal heart and personality changed. I don't want to miss Gail, like you were saying, Katie, just her dedication mm-hmm. to prayer. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to continue to pray for this man. She was so steadfast. And 
I loved when she said, I, I declared war over mm, my yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. She hunkered down. Yeah. And we've referenced before the the book, The Power of a Praying Wife. And I remember reading that a couple of years into our marriage. And it's probably a good one that I could pick back up. But just that reminded, that came to mind when mm-hmm. I was listening to Gail of just, I'm going to declare war over my home and I'm going to fervently pray for this marriage. Yeah. You know, I read that book years ago when we were walking through some difficult times in our relationship as well. And one of the things that that book really spoke to me, and I think that Gail's story speaks to it, is the fact of not focusing on Jim so much as she needed to focus on her and her relationship with Christ and what that looked like. And then Jesus was able to actually work through her to ultimately not only change her and give her peace in the midst of a situation that really wasn't very peaceful. Not at all. Yeah, give her peace, but then also... I think Jim, if he were able to speak today, he would say that he saw Jesus through her because she just continued to love him when he was very, very difficult. And then I did think there was one layer, and I don't know if any of you missed it, but where he told her the hurt of his first wife leaving him— and that that's where he lived mm-hmm. in his, his relationship forever. with that wound. Right. Yeah, he lived in that wound. And because of that wound, that was that anger and that bitterness that he had towards Gail. And she still stuck around and told him, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving you. And that, to me, was another beautiful layer of just Jesus' love with us. Absolutely. And it was just such a well-spoken story of her journey with the Lord, of going from religious, which was her first descriptive yeah. word. Right, the head knowledge. Yeah, to to a true change of heart. And I don't know that you can stay in any kind of relationship without that. Yeah. You know, oh, without sure. that change of heart in yourself that you're talking about. She said at one point, peace at any price. You know? Yes. Yeah. You've got to have peace from the Lord. Yeah. Uh, you can't do it in your flesh, and you can't do it on your own. Yeah. You know, I would encourage any of our listeners that are in a difficult marriage, maybe right now in a difficult season of their marriage, first of all, pour yourself into God's Word. It never returns void. God wants to be there for you. He wants to walk beside you through this. He wants to give you the ability to walk through this. He wants to give you the ability to love your spouse when your spouse is very difficult to love. I do agree with what Lindy said. We're going to put the link for The Power of a Praying Wife in our show notes as well. I, I challenge you to get that book and just start praying over your spouse instead of, as I did for many years, complaining <laughs> about your spouse. But just really pray over his heart, and I promise you, God will show up. Thanks so much for listening today and joining us through this series that of really all relationships in the month of February. And so have a great day, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.